We're here with another episode of Hear the Spear, presented by Noel Game Day. I'm Ryan Stalder, as always accompanied by my co-host Ethan Vaughn. We will be welcoming special guest, former FSU receiver Kenny 300 Shaw, later in the show. Uh, you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. But for now, what's going on, Ethan? I see you got that haircut looking a little European on us. Hey, man, uh, not a whole lot. Uh, I just wanted to get on here, and while we're talking talking a little trash, I'm just going <laughs> to remind you remind you that uh, I think through the Florida State's first five games, you predicted them to be 5-0. and oh. So what? I just wanted who, predi- I just who wanted... predicted Who predicted the Louisville loss this week, though? Uh, both of us. All right, there it is then. All right, but let's get into to this Louisville recap before I have to talk about your uh, outfit. All, all right. right. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so Syracuse, we can bounce back some 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 positives and negatives we saw from this game. Quick little recap: Florida State lost uh, thirty-one to twenty-eight to Lu- I said Syracuse. Excuse me, Louisville. Thirty-one twenty-eight to Louisville. Their third home loss of the season, fourth loss of the season. FSU is now defeated at zero and three at home. And uh, it's definitely a nightmare of a season, but there are still positives that you might be able to take away from a game like this. So uh, what is one good thing you saw from this team against Louisville, Ethan? I I guess I'm going to go with, like, the overall defensive performance. It it wasn't bad holding Lamar Jackson to 31 points, especially when you have three turnovers on offense. And you score on defense. Yeah, and you score exactly seven points from your defense on the scoop and score that that isn't too bad of an effort from your defense. So I, I think that, that that's good. And it, I guess it shows that they were a little bit, I don't know, I guess that they were prepared for, for Jackson better than they were last year. And they also, I, I guess maybe you could say they, they had a, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and kind of responded to it based on the way that, that Lamar just abused them in Louisville last year. So I think that's a, a good thing you can take out of it. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's not totally good. We can get into that a little bit later. But Honestly, um, that's one positive speak, thing. Speaking to your point, if, if Lamar didn't explode on that whatever 60-yard run down the sideline where he juked out Kyle Myers and then ran behind tee time uh, Tavares McFadden on a play that he might probably two, two tackles that should have been made by both those players. Uh, and then DeMarcus Christmas, actually, defensive tackle, ended up tackling him way down the field, which should never be the case. But... If he didn't have that play, I mean, there's not too, too many, like, explosive plays that Louisville had in this game. So I thought FSU's defense definitely did a good job, not a great job, of limiting him there. Uh, one positive that I could take away from is, again, I thought FSU's offensive line played well. Uh, they had uh, – Louisville had two sacks, and um, I'm not sure, to be honest, either of them were on the offensive line. I thought they held up really well in pass protection and uh, created some holes for the running backs. Uh, it looked like that Florida State could have ran all day if they wanted to. Uh, Jimbo arguably got a little too cute with the play calls, maybe, in some cases. Um, notably, passing three times in a row um, after he got into Louisville territory by running the ball all the way in. That but, was a second drive, right? Yeah, but I digress. Um, I do think that a, a good takeaway is the offensive line, again, performed well in this game without their best player, Landon Dickerson, in the second game without him. Yeah, I definitely uh, do you, agree. Do you have any more positives? or I know there's a lot more negatives that we can take away from this game. So if wh- whichever way you're willing to go with this, it's, it's up to you. You know, I, I feel like it, it's such a tough game because I feel that each – it was kind of a hot and cold game. Like for every everybody you can say something – for the most part, everybody that you can say something good about, you can also say something bad about. And, and so I think that with that being said, I, I guess um, I might say that, that – Nooney actually making a couple plays is, is something that's positive. I don't know if I'd say that he's back just because as he of, would say, yeah, exactly as he would say on the, on the sideline. But um, I, I think that that you can kind of quantify that or, or really, I guess, limit that that kind of impact based on the fact that there there wasn't that many other options in the in the game, especially after Tate got a, got a banged up. That it was kind of Nooney or nobody, Nooney or, or Jared Jackson, I should say. Um, so, I, I think that that's, I guess, a good sign. But I don't know if it's entirely indicative that he's ready to break out and finally show up this year. I'll go uh, more to the negative. I thought Florida State's offense looked really, really bad against a really bad defense. I mean, 
we can we can talk about okay so Florida State Florida State scored 28 points in this game and if we're really going to break it down uh, they scored s- seven off of a defensive touchdown and then seven off of a fourth and goal target fourth and goal from the 10 targeting and then on top of the targeting that they got first and goal off of the first play Jaquez Patrick fumbled into the end zone and Florida State was fortunate enough to have Nooney Murray fall on it so if you really take away those two plays one wasn't made by the offense at all and one was the offense was very very fortunate I mean probably 95% of the time you don't get that lucky very fortunate on two plays in a row to end up getting a touchdown so really they only scored about 14 honest points in this game and especially against a defense that gave up 42 to Boston College the week before that was a big negative for me I expected a lot more from Florida State's offense I agree I I think that I I guess I I talk about the running game Uh, I just don't I don't I don't I didn't understand Jimbo's play calling. Um the first drive Florida State got the ball back they're already down 7-0. I think um FSU fans are having PTSD from a year ago at that point in time with the way Lamar Jackson just drove Louisville down the field on that first drive. But Jimbo ran the ball. I mean that was that was the clear plan for everybody going into the game. They knew Florida State needed to run the ball considering what Boston College had done the, in the previous week. Um, and, and they ran it and they ran it well and it got them a touchdown and it, it marched down the field. I mean, didn't face any third and longs or anything. And then it seemed like for the remainder of the first half, Jimbo kind of outsmarted himself and, and tried to throw the ball quite a bit and on the second drive. I know they threw three passes in a row. All three of them were incomplete from Blackman. And I think that's just irresponsible in terms of putting your your true freshman quarterback in a position like that, especially when the the run game has already proven itself to be effective. And, and so I, I guess my negative here would be the play calling in that regard. I, I just didn't just didn't understand it. And I quite frankly, I, to me, it is one of the biggest things that lost FSU the game um, because while their offense was getting stops. Or while the defense was getting stops on Louisville's offense in the first half, Florida State should have been taking advantage of at least a couple of those opportunities to get a lead and make Lamar play from behind and hopefully eventually force him to beat you throwing the ball. But that just didn't happen. Florida State didn't take advantage of it. And so play calling was a negative for me, especially in the first half. I really agree with you. Uh, I'll give my take on this. I know you didn't ask for it. But Jimbo Fisher is usually... One of his biggest strengths is as a play caller. I know people like to criticize that, but I would say his biggest strength as a as an offensive mind is, is pretty much as a play caller and a game planner. That being said, this season is really, in my opinion, uncharted territory for Jimbo because his offense is so quarterback-driven, typically, with his last three quarterbacks and the entirety of his quarterbacks at Florida State really being first-round picks. I mean, uh, one with one season, 2015, Sean McGuire and... Ever Golson played in. But other than that, I mean, he's had... And both those guys were very experienced. One was a junior and one was a fifth-year senior. So <clears throat> one thing I will say is that this is uncharted territory for Jimbo. He's never had to play his offense through a quarterback who really doesn't... Like, he, he's a true... He's 18. He's not... Like, I, I don't think he knows half the playbook. I really don't think he knows half of the playbook or is comfortable running half the playbook. And I said this during the game. A lot of the plays James Blackman is running, you have to understand... Probably the first time he ran, he runs it in a game. I mean, I don't even know how many times he's been able to rep some of these these plays in practice. If you think about it, I would say 30% of the plays he runs in the game are probably the first time he's ever ran that play. Especially the last, the, the play that ended up costing FSU the game. Maybe it was a read option. Maybe it was a play action pass. Maybe it was a well, handoff. Some that people he were speculating, that he, yeah, that it was that it was a handoff a, that he should have that he should have gave, but because he had success previously running. Maybe he tried to pull it. I don't know if I buy that. But I, regardless, it was probably the first time he's ran that play. So the experience that Jimbo's used to is is not there. And I think tying this together, I think that that's affecting his play calling because he's used to being able to, yes, he knows he could run it. And I think the flaw in this game was he knew he could run it, but he still tried to use his quarterback's play, play action pass ability and stuff like that that and other and with his other guys, they're not going to make mistakes that James Blackman made throwing two interceptions. I know they weren't entirely his fault. Maybe the deep ball wasn't entirely his fault, but in a, in a in a different scenario, I think we don't question Jimbo's play calling at all because one, he has more of his playbook open to him with a quarterback who who knows the entire playbook, 
And two, it's not the quarterback's first time executing each play. Okay, here's what I'm going to say to that. I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I generally agree along the lines of Jimbo's offense, I guess, needs to be ran by a, a I guess, a pretty elite quarterback or at least, a, at the very least, an experienced quarterback. Exactly. Experienced. I agree <laughs> with it. But here's my thing. It's very easy to run the ball when you have a court, when when you have a freshman quarterback. That that's what you generally think of when you think of I guess protecting your quarterback and putting them in some some easier situations. So I I don't get and my problem is is after you ran so successfully on the first drive, why do you immediately go to these passes, three straight passes on the second drive, and kind of I, I guess. That's not the best situation for your freshman quarterback. That's I agree that's making it. That's you know that, that's what I'm saying. You make you just make that's, it harder on him. That's and what I, I'm saying. I, his flaw is that he's not able to run his offense through a freshman quarterback because he's not able to account for it and and swallow his pride and maybe not call the best play but call the easiest play. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and that's what I'm saying exactly. I I just I think that for all of, of Jimbo's I guess positives as a as a play caller, uh, I think that that you're seeing kind of an inability or, or whatever inability, um, stubbornness, something that, that really just didn't, isn't allowing him to call a game or, or, or just game plan in a manner where he kind of takes account of what he has right now and what he's dealing with and puts that in a best position, in a best situation to win. So I think that's, I think that that's a valid point, and I think that it's it's a flaw right now that, I mean, ideally you don't have to deal with it because ideally you have, at the very least, an experienced quarterback, but you don't, and you got to deal with it. And also that is not entirely because you had some issues with um, DeAndre Johnson, Malik Henry, off the field issues. So So it's not entirely on them, but it's also, again, it comes down to the coaching staff for being able to have a quarterback on staff that's at the very least experienced. So, I mean, I, there's some extenuating circumstances there, but but I think you can you can look at it from multiple angles and kind of be concerned by what you're seeing. I agree. All right, but Ethan, you ready to get our man Kenny Shaw on? Yeah, man. I know he's got a lot of inform- interesting information to bring to us, and I think it's going to be great talking to him. All right, let's do it. Trying to get a play in quickly. Two seconds, one, they just do snap it. Winston stays on his feet, launches one in a single coverage, and it is caught on the final play of the half by Kenny Shaw. we now like to welcome former FSU receiver and current CFL star, Kenny 300 Shaw. What's going on, Kenny? What's up, man? Glad to have you up. Yes, sir. Glad to have you. Uh, I have a question. Just to start off, uh, you were one of the best receivers in the CFL last year, but now you're sidelined with an injury with the Red Blacks. How's the recovery process treating you? The recovery is good, man. I'm I'm just thankful my coach believed in me enough uh, to um, let me get the opportunity to rehab down back home in uh, Orlando, you know, to help out mentally because being out uh, this long and I've never been out, with a knee injury and it was a little frustrating the first couple of weeks but you know being around family and friends is it, helping out a lot and you know I'm I accepted it and I'm uh just going hard in rehab now what exactly was the injury we couldn't really couldn't really tell what it was I tore my ACL and M- tore ACL MCL uh that's the same injury that uh the Eagles left tackle had last night so yeah that's that's a rough injury. Glad it, glad it's going good, getting healed up, so you can get right for next year. Definitely good that you get to be home in Orlando for that process, not up in Canada. <clears throat> right. So you were on the field uh, this Saturday for the game, disappointing loss to Louisville. You know how was that? You know being back here in Tallahassee and kind of seeing seeing the program. And, and did you chat with any of the current players and kind of what what are they saying about this year and kind of trying to get it back on track? You know, being back, it, it was always a good feeling. You know, um, I feel like um, hands down we have the best fans in the nation. And, you know, no matter what, uh, 
we're still going to have the support no matter, you know, you're going to have some nasty fans out there here and there, but majority of them, we, we have some pretty loyal fans. But being back, uh, seeing the facility and, oh, man, I, I was pretty jealous at first. I was like, man, I wish we had this locker room like this. And, and you know, just seeing the Champions Club, they they did a good job. And, you know, um, I like to think that we our 2013 team was the reason for all the change up. But, um, you know, I got a chance to uh, chat with a couple of other players. You know, majority was the receivers. And, you know, uh, I, I remember saying to uh, DJ Matthews, I was like, you know, wait your turn, man. It, it's going to come, you know, because I was in that position, you know, freshman, you know, coming in highly recruited, uh, expecting a lot of playing time. And, you know, you get a little down at first, but, you know, uh, just told him God got a plan, you know, just trust it and just keep going hard and, you know, it's going to come. And and also, it's just like 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 you said, the uh, game was frustrating, so it wasn't too much I wanted to say to, to the guys because I know if I was in that uh, situation as a player, um, I wouldn't want to talk to anybody after a frustrating loss like that. So I, it wasn't too much there, but uh, my presence was known. You know, I shook a lot of hands, but I didn't really say much that I wanted to. Awesome. Well, uh, do you have who's your who's your closest, I guess, friend, or do you, do you have a good relationship with any of the current players? I know you said you talk to the receivers. Who who amongst them do you talk to the most? Uh, you know, uh, I don't chat with many of them much because I'm busy myself. But you know, I do, you know, through uh, mutual friends and connections because we're from um, Orlando together. Uh, Nooney, you know, we we mm-hmm. we somehow come together closely in, in in relation to Orlando and you know a lot of our uh a lot of my people here know his people so that's that's a connection in itself so you know you got that so when I see him it's you know it's nothing but love so I would say that and you know it, I wanted to say more to uh Blackman but you know he you know quarterbacks they got a lot of on their mind and then you got to battle Jimbo during the game so that's that's I wasn't gonna uh, jump in into that. So obviously, you didn't want to get in the way, like, and and just get in their head during the game. But if if you could have talked to them, what what would your message have been? I was just gonna tell them to just trust the process. Like, you know, it's it's no it's no secret to what what, what comes to winning. And you, I don't I don't know because I'm I'm. Like I said, I'm a former player, but I'm also looking from the outside in. I don't know what, you know, it, it's it's more to what what's in depth than what you see on TV. Like it, it might have started from camp. It could have started from uh, fourth quarter drills. Like, you know, I don't know what it stemmed from, but I, I do ask questions, and you know, a lot of it is you know, just just the heart, you know, and a lot of heart you you can do a lot of things with it you know you don't have to be the biggest or the strongest or the fastest but if you got a lot of heart then you you're going to win a lot of games so do you have like a a relationship with any of the coaches um from when you were at florida state you keep in contact with any of them now that you're out of the program and uh what are they kind of telling you about the team and just in general how this team is growing and kind of going to overcome these losses and and hopefully turn it around going down the stretch in, in this year and then in the upcoming seasons. Well, yeah, I, I have a definitely like a it's like he's like a he was like a father away from home when I was in school and you know we always kept a relationship. My receiver coach, Coach Dossie, and you know I I communicate with all the coaches, but Dossie more than others because that that was the guy I was with the most, and you know just chat with him, you know. It's frustrating for everyone because, you know, I don't even, you know, I don't watch much football, which is, people might think is weird because I, but I don't watch much football, but when I'm chatting with somebody, that's the first thing they say this year is, what's going on with your nose? And I don't know what to tell them, you know, and it kind of annoys me, but, you know, Dossie just was saying, you know, um, they just got to trust the process and, you know, um, nothing. It's no secret to it. Like they got the talent, you know. They, as you can see, the talent is there. It's just, you know, putting it all together. And 
I don't know when it's gonna come, but as a you know as a former player, losing to Miami hurt, but it it will hurt even more losing to the Gators. So hopefully they get it together before the end. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, what is Coach Dossie like as just a, a a person? I know he's a father figure to a lot of the receivers, but what is he like as a person? Oh man, he he's funny. He's caring. You know, he's one of those guys who you if you got a problem, you can um uh, you can definitely trust him with it. And you know, you can't do that with with a lot of people in this world. And I felt like when I found that out about him, that it was uh. It's lights out from there, and you know, as a player, you you got a coach like that. You can go to through with anything. You know, you buy you you're going to buy into whatever they coach you. And I feel like at the time with our receiving squad during that era, it was like that we bought into it. We trust them. We know that him and we know that all the coaches like say Jimbo get into it with Dossie about one of us. Dossie's going to have our back. So. Once we seen that, you know, we we just wanted the ball out, and that should tell you what kind of guy he is. And you know, he to this day, no matter how old he is, I, I can I can go roll out with him to College Town, you know. <laughs> when I'm in town. That's awesome. Uh, who recruited you to to FSU, Kenny? I know it was a, a bit different of a staff from when you got there to when you left. But who was your main recruiter, and what was their message to you? You know what's funny is uh, when I was being recruited, um, like I said, I was Jimbo's first class, right? So um, I remember I was in school, and, you know, at the time it was like it was so much offers and everything coming in. But, you know, it's no secret now. I I always have Florida State as my top. So um, I just remember uh, all the new coaches, on the staff at that time got straight off the plane and came to see me. So it was like the whole coaching staff was at Dr. Phillips that day. It was Trickett, Dossie, Coach Randy, um, and who else? The whole coaching staff. Jimbo was there. Um, and what's the tight end coach name? Uh, Brewster. Well, pretty much. Brewster wasn't yeah, there. Oh, pre, every, pre. I'm not sure. <clears throat> You know, all of them was there, and it was just a good feeling. It made me, it made me like really uh, consider, like you know, FSU is my school to be to go to. And sure, they, they, you should have seen them. They was in it. The, they had the uh, suitcases and everything. They and was on campus to see me. So I was like, you know what, I'm going here. So who do you talk most? Like who do you keep in touch with most from the 2013 team? And what is, do you have like a relationship with KB and Rashad in terms of y'all talking still to this day? Because I, I know y'all had to be tight as a position group. Almost deaf. You know, uh, the closest I'm with is uh, KB because, you know, we was roommates for uh, two and a half years. And, you know, we also trained together in the all season down with Tom Shaw. So um, I chat a lot with him and, you know, um, it just – it's just funny looking back on it about how, how much we we came from. And, you know, we uh, Rashad actually messaged uh, us a minute ago with a YouTube video. It was like, I don't know who uh, how it surfaced, but it was uh, a trio videos. I guess it was saying we was the best uh, receivers in FSU history core, as a core. And it was, you know, it just brought back good memories, you know, because, that's the thing that we had with that team. Uh, besides the receivers, we we would hang out after after football, you know. And you know, in college, you can do so much. Definitely in town like Tallahassee, you can you know you can go party, you can go mess with the little the honeys, but you know, we, <laughs> the bunnies. We, we, <laughs> yeah, the honey. Yeah, so we can do that. But we we was barbecuing, we was playing cars. We you know we we was really uh, chilling, you know, becoming brothers. And it transferred over to the field, and you know, you those are the type of bonds that you build, that you uh, keep for a long time coming. Who are you closest with from that team to this day? Uh, I would say KB. Most of, 
That's my roommate. We got a lot of stories to tell about uh, <laughs> Dixie Condo. That's where we stayed at. <laughs> oh, I bet. All right, Kenny. Uh, next is we, we want to talk about the, the Boston College catch you had in 2013, especially with Boston College being FSU's opponent this week. Uh, so at the end of the second half in 2013, uh, you, Jameis, uh, stiff-armed a defensive lineman, rolled out of the pocket and threw an absolute 60-yard bomb to you in the uh, end zone in the right corner. Uh, what was that play call? It didn't look like a Hail Mary because I think you were the only one downfield. I know KB ran like a curl. So what was that play call to end the half and just take us through that play from your point of view? You know what? That play call to this day, I, if you bring it up to Jimbo, he he would be like he didn't draw it up either. Um, it was just a base, basic smash, and that's, that's a hitch in the corner in the inside. Mm-hmm. And, you know – as I was going out, you know, I ran it hard because coach, that's what coach could preach all the time. It's like, you know, run your route hard. You never know who's going to get the ball. And I bought into that. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't know it was zero seconds on the clock, but I knew it was, I wanted to get in field goal range. So I ran the corner out and, you know, I look back and I, you know, we were all, always pick on James about having old man strength, you know, cause <laughs> James, James don't have the best body in, Etc. But you know he he was strong. Like he always missed tackles. I mean he always yeah he always uh avoided tackles. And we didn't know how, so we just said yeah old man strength. And I remember just looking back and he we always worked the scramble drill um on Thursdays that like it was a tradition. And I remember uh just seeing him point and I turned it up the sideline, just a simple corner of the sideline, and he just heaved it and. You know, to this day, they asked me how did I make the catch, I, and I, I would say, twenty uh, percent was was me, and eighty percent was just God because I don't know how I caught that with this guy holding my hand and all that. Kenny, I actually met. I was a uh, true story. I was on little anecdote. I was on Fort Lauderdale Beach one day, and I met this guy, and he said, "Oh yeah, I play football at Boston College." I'm like, "Oh yeah, nice, like, cool, whatever, like." He's like, actually, you know the play where Jameis Winston threw that touchdown to Kenny Shaw? I was like, yeah. He's like, that was me in coverage, number 42. So I actually met that guy. Yeah, he said – he was big too. He said – I said, what happened? He said, man, he just turned it upfield and I couldn't run with him. So I actually met that guy and he said, oh, the announcer said it was Rashad Green, but it was actually 81 Kenny Shaw. He was telling me like I didn't know. Of course I knew, but still, I met that guy. That was one of the craziest things ever. Right after that season, I met him. That's crazy. What was priceless about that whole play was just afterwards when I saw it on the bus on the way back, and I wasn't even worried about that it was going to be on sports and all that, but I was just more happy that at how the coach's reaction was, the Boston College coach reaction was. It, it just <laughs> sucked the life out of it. Uh, I bet. You guys, that was, I believe, to take the lead right at the right at the end of the, the first half. That was the only game you guys really got down in all year. Man, it was scary, and to this day, I like if I if I could tell the um, current team something about Boston College, it would be, you know, don't take them lightly. And those coaches, those those players are coached really good. They're strong. They always strong, and they you really got to beat them with technique. Absolutely. So, the, so Florida State's offense kind of has like a a, a notorious. Like it, it, it's somewhat hard, or it's perceived as being tough on wide receivers because it, a lot of times it takes guys a couple years to kind of get the system down and really produce as a wide receiver in Jimbo Fisher's offense. As someone who played in it, do you think it's a tough offense for receivers? Is, is there a lot of complexity within the offense and things that you're asked to do as a receiver, or is it kind of overstated by people? Oh, a hundred percent. Like if you if you had this podcast with Jimbo and ask him what was the most difficult part about coaching us, it was, you know, he would yell at us, but we would yell back because, you know, we we just wanted to get better. We uh, we had some heated arguments. James would get kicked out of practice all the time. Like, that, it, that was a unique team, man. You know, it's tough on receivers because it's like we are looked at as the – 
the go-to guys. And, you know, I think that's what's frustrating the um, coaches now because of what I guess we we started. But that's how it's always been. And, you know, our coach, Dawson, was always say the, the offense has ran through us. And we believe we bought into it. But it's definitely a tough offense because, you know, you got – side adjustments you got oh man you got hot routes it's it's a lot of stuff that goes into Jimbo a little perfect offense and you know it takes guys longer than others like I I came in with guys who were way more talented than me and but they just couldn't figure out the offense of game plan and you know that's that's a part of football and that's how it pans out Definitely. So, Kenny, what do you think the biggest difference between that 2013 team, your senior season, and the, the other the other teams you played on your, your freshman, sophomore, and junior year? What do you think the biggest team was? Because obviously you guys were, I don't know, decent in 2011, uh, like re- really good in 2012, and then absolutely elite in 2013. So what, was, what, what happened in between those seasons that really helped you guys turn the corner? Um, I can tell you for sure it was uh, – um... Our, our summer workout, how we how we how we approach that, and just just our overall outlook. Like like you said, our freshman year we had who we had Burt Reed, Jamon Fortson. You know, we had some we had some killers on offense, and you know we we all you know we kind of seen that we, we we was like you know when you that younger guy and you're like okay they're good but you know I gotta be I gotta be better than them somehow and that's how it always was so each year it was a progression and each year that it was crazy like a funny story uh before we committed to florida state in 2010 we had a, a um a low-key 2010 uh like fsu little coat so we all knew that we was going there but the media and all the rivals people didn't know but it was like 10 of us on board that we was like, okay, we're going to change this program around. Like Telvin, Christian Jones, Jeff Luck, all of us, we knew we was going there and we was like, we're going to change the program around. So when that 2013 season came around, you know, it was the little things that we worked on that we didn't necessarily want to do that we thought would make us win, like making it a breakfast we had mandatory breakfast at 8 a.m., which was hard as hell to make. I'm not going to lie. As um, a college student, I, I totally feel seven, that. Yeah, seven, seven on sevens after class, which was hard during the spring. Oh, man. Uh, going hard during fourth-quarter drill, which is still the top five most hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, no, in the classroom, we, we wasn't – we wasn't the Jimmy Neutrons, but you know we 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 was eligible to play, you know, and that that makes a difference. And it all, like I said, it all carried to the field, and and I can tell because I remember going into week one in Pittsburgh. You know, Jimbo rallied. Jimbo was, you know, he was saying, you know, it's going to be a lot of a lot of pressure behind his freshman quarterback and his first start and all that. And you know, once you see James. And once the game rolled, it was like, this guy's, what was he, 20 for 20? 20 for 20? It was like, this is yeah, going to be like, a great season. Yeah, crazy. And then they, then they, I don't know, they, they bullcrapped my call, too. So that messed up his, his little pass rating. But, oh, yeah, you, you dragged that foot, didn't you? You had yeah, that foot down. Is yeah, that what you're talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. On the left yeah, sideline, you had your foot down. Yeah, that was the first incompletion. That was total trash. Yeah, but we just knew it was a special. That was a special kid, and all he needed was our support, and we gave that to him. So, uh, Kenny, Jameis's birthday was actually the night of the national championship. So, obviously, you had a couple mm-hmm. catches. You guys win on a last-second play to your best friend KB, your roommate. What was that night like for you? Take us through before and then after. What did you guys do? I mean, obviously – that was the everything you guys talked about in that 2010 group chat came to fruition that night. So what what was that like? Before the game? 
before the game, like during the game, and then what did you guys do after the game? Well, before the game, man, I don't think people realize how much of a perfecting as Jimbo is, but, you know, we, we was thinking, oh, we we going out to California to practice, you know. Practice is going to be like hell no. We was in full pads. We were still getting it how we was during the – during the uh, regular season before the the conference games. And, you know, we was complaining at first, but, you know, it, it, it played out at the end. So, if I could tell Jimbo we sorry now, I would, because we definitely gave him – we gave him hell for being in pads and stuff during the championship week. But um, it was just a different vibe. Like, it, you know, it didn't, it didn't hit us, I don't think – well, I can speak for myself. It didn't hit me until – we was pulling up to the stadium and we was going through a, a orange sea of, of Auburn fans. And it was like, man, we, we really here. Like, you know, when the last Rose bowl and it's, it's a um, special feeling. Like we, we can't, we can't, we can't turn back from here. And, you know, being down, we, you know, we, I've, I've always thought that we've handled adversity. Well, that team, like no matter what, like even off the field issues, like we 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 just handled it well. Like you know, James was going through a lot of stuff the whole year, but like I said, we we stuck behind him, and you know he couldn't get through that through that stuff by himself. And you know, as we got that win, it was you know I'm not an emotional guy, but you know I seen the biggest dudes crying. You know, Timmy Jernigan, one of the toughest <laughs> dudes I know. I seen him crying. You know. It made me cry, but um, yeah, it was a good feeling. And you know, you you think after a game like that, like man, we gonna go hard, like we popping champagne, we doing all this. Nah, man, we was we was sleep ready to get back to Tallahassee in the morning, man. It was it was funny, like because we all had a plan. We was like, man, what are we doing after the game? Like we're going to L.A. Nah, <laughs> we was in the hotel sleep. Getting ready, packing our stuff, and and I just remember uh, flying and landing back in Tallahassee, and it was so cold and raining. It was it was miserable, but the tap, but we still had a good fan base waiting for us at, uh, near the Bobby statue. Oh yeah, I remember that. <clears throat> so a lot of people uh, kind of say that Auburn had our signals, and we're we're kind of tipping off our plays during the national championship game. And actually it's been kind of rumored or like widely, widely thought that KB was actually the one who pointed it out. So, you know, being so tight to KB, is that something that was, was discussed and like a a legitimate concern during that game? No, it was, it it was that the whole offense was like, man, we, what are we doing there? They're picking up on it. And, you know, we kind of figured it was going to come about when, you know, one of our coaches was over there. So, um, Damien. <clears throat> yeah. So we, we didn't know it was going to be that bad that our signal was going to be stolen. So, you know, we made an adjustment and, you know, karma, I guess karma came back and hit him that quick. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, Kenny, we have a fan question, uh, from Sean Jay wants mm-hmm. to know, What's the origin of Shaw is Raw? <laughs> uh, the origin is is actually a guy who I went to high school with. His name's Scooter Magruder, and if you look oh, it we up, know. he's uh, on Twitter, he, right? That, yeah, he, makes he those made videos? a song at first. Yeah, he made a song, and I remember it, freshman year of high school, he used to be like, he used to make a beat like and just say Kenny Shaw is Raw, and you know he'd do a dance with it, and you know. When I got to college, he did the YouTube video because he was big on the social media, and it just blew up from there, and that's what started. That's where it all started. That's awesome. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, Kenny. You gave a lot of good insight and stuff that uh, the fans would never know uh, if, if it didn't come from you or the other players. So it, it's been a pleasure having you on, and we hope we can have you on later in the season. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, thank you for coming on, Kenny. No problem, man. That was former Florida State receiver Kenny Shaw, probably amongst the greatest trio of receivers in Florida State history. Uh, Kenny definitely brought us a lot of good insight, and we look forward to having him back on later in the season.
So let's move into the, the next portion. This is a new uh, topic we're going to do. Um, this uh, props to our producer, Logan, for coming up with this, because I think it's a really good idea, especially in this season with this team. Uh, this this um, segment's called Overreaction or Accurate. Um, so I'll start. I'll, I'll give it to you, Ethan. You can give me whether it's this the statement is an overreaction or whether it's accurate and why. Uh, first of all, Jimbo Fisher is not an elite coach due to this season. I'll say overreaction for now. And, and the qualifier I'm going to put on it is he has to make changes and adapt following this season. If this season serves as a wake-up call to Jimbo Fisher, then and he adapts and changes with the times like like Nick Saban has in, in Tuscaloosa with, with running a little bit of the kind of zone read and a little bit more spread, not totally. I know they move back a little bit more pro style, but still utilizing their quarterback's legs, something that I think is makes makes it a whole lot easier and makes it a whole lot more. It makes it a whole lot easier for the offense to be consistent and to consistently move the ball when you have a quarterback and, and you allow them and you and you call plays for them to utilize their their legs. So I think if Jimbo makes changes, there there needs to be wholesale coaching staff changes. If if this season wakes Jimbo up. And, and prompts him to adapt, then I think he still very much is an elite coach going forward. But if those changes aren't made and he doesn't adapt and change with the times, then I very, very well could see this season kind of mark the, the decline of, of Jimbo out of the ranks of the elite in terms of if things aren't going to be changed and the stubbornness and the, the refusal to adapt is going to, is going to, be be a purveying kind of ideology um, with, with Fisher. I'll say that if you're talking about elite coach being um, like a top five coach, then I think the statement's accurate. I think Jimbo is no longer a top five coach. He's not in the discussion with Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney any longer. I agree. I'll I think agree definitely that. coming into the season, he was right. He, I mean, he was picked to beat Clemson. So I think he was definitely, definitely, he was number three in the country. I think he was definitely in that conversation. But I think this this season has removed him from the top five. I think still you're not you wouldn't there's there's not nine or ten coaches that you would take over him. So I think he's still a top ten coach. I don't think he's in the elite elite top five class, but again, that just depends on how you look at the term elite. So I'll say it's it's accurate if you so consider so who would you who would you wrap just as an off like a little bit off topic discussion? Who would you round out your top five with? I think you got some the three pretty easy choices in in Saban, Urban, and Dabo. But who would you round out your top five with? Yeah, I think Saban is one, Dabo is two. After going to back-to-back national championships, winning one against Alabama, and shutting out Urban in the playoff when it counted most, as well as Urban not, um, not really. He's won one championship in the past ten years. <clears throat> also, uh, so so four was Jimbo before the season. Now, I mean, the, the there's a big gap between one, two, three, and then four, five. Uh, who's in the conversation? I wouldn't say some of the elite programs like USC. I don't think Helton's a great no. coach. Michigan, uh, Harbaugh's really struggling. Would you like, put James Franklin up there? The problem with James Franklin is he's never done anything prior. So hey, it's, exactly. it's nice to say that he's number two now in the country now, but he Gary has no Patterson? prior history of elite. Yeah, Gary Patterson's on and off. I, I would say he's definitely top 10, probably top eight. But again, top five is hard to say because he's never even made the playoff. Yeah, so, I think it's a t- I think it's a tough discussion because you got some some good programs. To like, be honest, like there's Penn only State, four Oklahoma. Coaches. Exactly, Oklahoma has a new Oklahoma has a new coach. Yeah, Texas exactly. has a new coach. USC has a second year coach. So all these questions will get answered. Um, but right now, I, I mean, there's only four coaches who have won a national title: the top three, and then Jimbo. So it's not it's the the criteria that we're looking for doesn't even exist with exactly. the, the four and five coaches. But and uh, how crazy, move, I, that's such a testament to Saban, though, the fact that only four active coaches it's, have it's enough. It's entirely time. a testament to Saban. Yeah. He's, he's ruined college football, <laughs> depending, on how you, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, next, uh, overreaction or accurate, Ethan? Florida State will not make a bowl this year. Okay, so Florida State stands at two and four right now. They need to get to seven or to six wins to be bowl eligible, six. excuse me. Yeah. And. So the Delaware State State game doesn't count. I believe it does. Are you? Oh, six, uh, yeah. Six one win, counts. No, six. 
No, I think because one is F, one is FCS and one is FBS, I believe. So I think they both count. Okay, so that okay, so look, that's that's a win. So there's your third win. You should. Yeah, Louisiana be- Monroe is FBS, so that counts. So they both count. Okay, so if you get the okay, so yeah, yeah. So Delaware State is a win if you reschedule the ULM game, which that's so depressing that you have to do that to be bowl eligible. But thus is the state of 2017 Florida State football. So there's there's four. So then you have to beat two of Boston College, Syracuse, Clemson, and Florida. So we'll chalk Clemson up as a loss. Um, I think to be safe, I, I think that if Florida State wins this weekend against Boston College, that they'll definitely beat one of Syracuse or Florida. Yep. So, yeah. Especially if it comes down to needing to beat Florida. Um, yeah, for eligibility. Yeah, Florida. They, I know Florida State has looked bad, but Florida's on the the verge of losing their third game in a row as well. Um, they're not as well coached as Florida State. I know that's hard to believe for some of you, but uh, Jim McElwain has struggled. Mightily I don't know about that. I, I don't know about in some in some areas. They 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 are probably better coached in another. Okay, but areas. as a whole, there's coached. no way you could tell me they're better coached. They haven't had a top 100 offense since McElwain's been there. They've only scored. They haven't scored an offensive touchdown against Jimbo but, Fisher. But that, stat, but, the same but I agree, but th- you're talking about a Florida State team that is the lowest scoring offense in the country. So no, no, I agree. I'm not saying I'm not saying FS, it's a guaranteed win. I'm just saying it. People people are will be quick because Florida is a big name school to just automatically qualify that as a loss for FSU in this season. I'm just saying in that particular instance, I think it's unfair. I think FSU will be favored in Boston College, Syracuse. And probably a, it'll be close to even, but I would say favorite against Florida, even though it's at the swamp. But even so, is that an overreaction that FSU will make a bowl game or a, an accurate statement? So I think it's an overreaction they they that they won't make a bowl. But okay. I, I think saying it now is an overreaction. But if you lose to Boston College, then it's it's greater than 50 percent chance that you're not making a bowl, in my opinion. Okay, um, I'll say that this this one's definitely an overreaction. Saying they won't make a bowl is an overreaction. Saying they they like have the possibility of not making a bowl is is not, is not an overreaction. But if you think at the you, if you look back at the team Florida State's lost to, they lost to Louisville first. Okay, that's a top fifteen team. Louisville's oh, sorry, not top they, they, this year. They, they, yeah. Okay, look at the rankings. They lost to Alabama, top one. Louisville top fifteen. Miami top ten. Louisville or or did I say the NC? I meant say NC State. Not yeah, Louisville. NC State. NC, NC State, State top fifteen. I, I I didn't mean to say Louisville. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, I got you. Um, Alabama number one, NC State top fifteen, Miami top ten, and then Louisville with the Heisman winner in a season where FSU can generate zero offense. So while those while they have had four losses, three of them most teams would lo- most, I mean even most top twenty five teams would struggle with those those three, and then Louisville. With any team with a bad offense is going to really struggle to beat Lamar Jackson, which is the reason me and Ethan picked Louisville despite Florida State being favored in this game. Um, so I think it's an overreaction to say that it won't make a bowl game because I do think that people are overvaluing the losses and not really qualifying them dependent based on who they, they came against. But um, So I'll say it's an overreaction. But let's move into the final one, Ethan. I think this will be an easier uh, answer, especially for for you um fsu's recruiting class will not be in the top five in 2018 overreaction or accurate that's easy and and it's definitely accurate and i think i would have said accurate even as it was trending before the season started okay let me change it to to make it not quite as easily let's say top 10 because fsu's never been outside the top 10 under jimbo fisher i i still that makes it a lot tougher to me but I don't. I I don't know. I, that one that makes it tough. I I will say accurate. I I don't know how much poaching is going to come. It seems like most of the commits are pretty pretty solid. Um, even though Florida State's having a disappointing season so far, but I think some teams are going to kind of pick up. Uh, uh, you know, going into this off season and some of these new coaching hires that are going to be made are going to kind of lead some teams to kind of bump up in recruiting. And um, I, I think it's going to be right there on the fringe, but I think it probably ends up 11, 12, 13, and, and that's a dangerous trend for Florida State because this is a team that has elite talent right now and isn't isn't winning games where they should be. And, and so who knows what it's going to look like when when you know Florida State starts to, I guess, lose that, that elite talent and kind of drop back in the pack. 
if that's something that's going to become a, a consistent thing. Hopefully, hopefully it isn't. One one thing I'll say is that Florida State, a school like Florida State, a program like Florida State, the brand really does recruit for itself. Uh, so they have that going for them that they're not entirely entirely based on winning. Um, their recruiting isn't. That that being said, well, uh, one more thing I'll add positively for Florida State is if you make some good hires and hires that are like well, like. Everybody looks at them as good hires and people kind of talk about them and there's articles going around social media about how much better Florida State's going to be and different a look Florida State's going to be. That really plays on recruits. I remember last year when LSU hired Matt Canada as offensive coordinator. That gave them a big bump in their recruiting. That, and that, that led really, them to hold on to Brennan. Miles exactly. Brennan, and that almost so. and that almost that gave them a real strong late push for Cam Akers because then you can sell, oh, we're But now with Matt Canada, we're going to have a great offense. So like you can sell that. So that's one thing FSU does have going for them if they choose to make coaching changes. However, I'm not sure they will, and I'm not sure they'll make enough changes. But I'll say that uh, I think it's an accurate statement to say they're not top five, and I also think it's an accurate statement to say they won't be top ten. Florida State's lucky to have um, players like A.J. Litton, Asante Samuel, Robert Cooper in this class if they stick. Um, I, think Cooper, I think Cooper is – is one to watch. He yeah, hasn't really wavered but, yet, but I think he's one to watch in the state of Georgia yeah. with how good Georgia's look. So we can get we don't have to get into specifics. Yeah, but. but but I'm just saying they're lucky to have good players committed already, and it's they're it's they're very unfortunate to miss on players like Terhada Michelle, the number one player in Virginia earlier in the cycle. It kind of um, that kind of knocked momentum out there well, for a little but, bit. But my point is that that these guys didn't end up committing and they're going to have a lot harder time getting players like that to commit now. Tara yeah, Michelle, exactly. obviously Justin Fields, um, Teron Field, Vincent from Fields IMG. Was tackle. Fields was, was such, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a recruitment that was as painful from one school's perspective with Florida State needing an elite quarterback like they do and seemingly taking the lead there for a little while and playing themselves out of that recruitment within the first month of the season, it's pretty just depressing from from all you know all things considered, and and from a standpoint as a as a someone who supports the Florida State program, I think that's just a it's a shame because you it really looked like you were in position to have a once another once in a in a, in a ten years type player, pretty much on the hills of Jameis Winston coming through the program, and, and the fact that you had the opportunity right there and kind of just let it slip away with four games of, of subpar or, you know, since some subpar performances, uh, just kind of, kind of depressing and kind of takes the wind out of Florida state's recruiting sales. Yeah, I agree. So, so let's get into, um, obviously we pretty much agree on those three things, but here's a, an interesting and certainly polarizing topic. The media has had a lot of fun with this this week. Uh, so should Jimbo have fired back at that fan? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, do you like it, dislike it? What do you think that means for Florida State and this season? Because kind of speaks to uh, the, where the program is right now. This is such a, a multi-leveled issue to me. Because if you believe what the what the tweets or the tweets say, what they what the the fan allegedly was saying. It was directed toward the coaches and saying that Jimbo needed to hire new coaches. And I, I, I don't think that that's a wildly like, controversial topic. I think it's pretty clear that there needs to be some coaching changes. And I, get, I mean, I understand Jimbo kind of wanting to protect these guys that he's working with and, and people that he obviously has a good working relationship with to a you know, pretty certain extent to where he feels – as loyal to them as he does, which is not a good thing at this point in time. But I, I just think as someone who's paid $5 million by a university to be the face of their, their football program, there's just no need. And to me, what it shows is that this, fr- the, this frustrating season is, is really getting to Jimbo. And, and I, I just don't know. I, I kind of viewed it as, especially with the way he, after the game, when he was asked about it, he kind of framed it as he was protecting his players. Now, to me, and and he did tack on like the people you work with at the end, but he spent a good 30 seconds talking about protecting players and then tacked that on kind of as an afterthought. So to me, the question is, is, is if, if the fan was talking about the players as the players were walking through, I understand that. These kids, are they're, high, they're college kids. I mean, they, they don't, 
not that they're 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 totally they should be totally free of criticism which i mean you're not going to be as a player as someone who's given a scholarship to play football at a a major school but they just don't deserve that level of criticism and that kind of heckling because you know right as coming off the field but if if what was said was truly about the coaches and it wasn't even that controversial or vulgar or anything you think you should have just let it go I think you should have just let it go, and I think that it kind of shows – it's very it's very revealing about how protective of this coaching staff he is and kind of how, how loyal to a fault he is with this coaching staff. So I think that's just one of those things where, where it's, it's a multi-layered issue, and it kind of depends on what exactly was said. So I, I just that, – I think you should have let it go probably. I, I just – I don't see any reason to stoop to that level, and it just kind of shows the frustration. I think it was one of those things that yeah, it I think it was just out of level. frustration. I don't think he would have done it after anything but a tough loss like that. We had to go shake Bobby, but he just coming off shaking Bobby Petrino's hand after a tough loss to the second year in a row to a coach that he probably doesn't like losing to. Um, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that Jimbo is really like, like I mean, if you guys haven't seen the video, it's on nullgameday.com. He based the fan says get new coaches, get new coaches, get new coaches, and just keeps heckling him as he's walking in. And he says, Bring your ASS down here and say it to my face. So it I didn't I never looked at Jimbo in that light before, but it's interesting to see him get I mean, you can kind of hear him talking somewhat to his firing up his players with a with a tone like that, maybe not as derogatory, but I've never seen that side of Jimbo just for I, I think a lot of people have kind of heard tales of that side of Jimbo yeah but you know in practice but never yeah exactly so I, I think that's a that's an interesting interesting I guess point one more thing I'll ask you is what do you think about obviously Jaquez Patrick is out for at least a, a decent amount of time um it's speculated there was the entire season but on his snapchat story today it's a little insider news not really anybody can follow him on snapchat but he tweeted a picture of the calendar and with the Clemson game circled. So I don't know if that's his goal to get back for that game or if he's just excited to get a chance to watch his, his team play Clemson or what. But what do you think that, that injury means for FSU's offense going forward, Ethan? I think it's a it's a big loss, and I don't know if I anticipated myself before the season seeing losing Jacquez Patrick as such a huge loss, especially with the talented trio of freshman backs that Florida State brought in. But but Jacquez finally turned it on this year. He ran tough like Jimbo wanted him to, and, and he was really showing out, especially the last three games. And, and I, I just think that that veteran presence there in, in the um, running back core in terms of having having the uh, polish and, and the, the knowledge of the offense that allowed him to be a really good pass blocker, um, protecting a freshman quarterback, I, I think it's a big loss. I don't think it's a loss that – I don't. I don't think it's a loss that they can necessarily not recover from in terms of just pure running ability. Because I think I, I'm actually interested to see where they go. Whether they go with a lot of carries for Rasul, or maybe some touches for Ryan Green, some, some of these veteran backs, or if they do go in and cut loose a, a former five-star recruit like true freshman Kalen Laborn and really try and set themselves up for the future. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see where they go there, but I, I think it's a big loss, and I think where you, where you miss that loss more is in short yardage situations, and also in in the pass blocking aspect of things. I, I think I think it's I guess it's it's going to be intriguing to see what Cam Akers does and who else gets some gets some carries and some burn in the backfield. Yeah, definitely going to be interesting. The only thing I'll say is that. I uh, we were talking last week about the leader of the offense and the defense. Well, I think the leader of the offense was Jaquez Patrick. I don't think it was. Um, I don't think definitely not James Blackman. I don't think maybe Tate, but I don't. I think Jaquez Patrick was really the leader of this offense. So I think this injury is actually going to be a lot more. I don't know. It's going to be a lot worse for FSU than people are like initially letting on. Like I don't think people understand that when you already have an inexperienced. Uh, quarterback and an injured, unreliable group of receivers right now just because of the lack of experience and depth. And now you have a freshman running back and freshman quarterback. I don't think – and an injured offensive line. Like, this is this is not a good thing. I don't think FSU loses any talent in the backfield as far as just giving Cam Akers and 
uh, Amir Rasul more reps and maybe breaking out, like you said, Kalan LeBour and Ryan Green. Um, but I do think it loses a lot of experience and leadership and heart, really. Like, I feel like Jaquez Patrick ran with a lot of heart and, like, really, like, like all the guests we've had on said, like, that's what this team is missing. So I think that injury will be a lot worse for FSU's offense than people initially think. But with that, let's move into Boston College preview. Um, luckily for Florida State, after losing their starting running back, they play a team in Boston College who does not have a top 100 rush defense. They're 101st, or excuse me, 114th in the country in rushing defense, which is very, very bad. That plays a lot into FSU's strengths, as me and Ethan will talk about here in a second. But basically, we believe that Boston College is a lot better of a matchup for Florida State than really any of the other teams they've played this season. And I'll let Ethan break down why. Basically, because Florida State's Florida State's defense, I guess. I mean, I, they haven't been as good as it at it this year as I thought they were going to really, be. They really have, though. They really have because you're you're discounting the fact that they held Mark Walton to thirty. I don't think a single running back has got more than fifty yards on FSU's defense this season. If so, maybe seventy-five. But Lamar Jackson ran for one hundred and fifty or whatever this weekend. But Louisville's leading rusher, I think, had forty-nine uh, at running back. So so. They have been really good against the traditional handoff yeah. run. Uh, they let I just, I just think that for Wake Forest and obviously Jackson for Louisville, but against the run like Boston College runs, Florida State will be fine. No, that's, so that's go ahead. What I, my point was that Florida State has a good rushing defense. I thought they were going to be like super, super elite. I don't think they've been oh, super, as, a, as a entirely like as a whole defense. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, as a rush defense, I, as a rush defense, they've been they they've been good, and I think that that's. That that's what makes this matchup good for them because Boston College relies heavily on the run with with AJ Dillon, who is a true freshman, I believe. And I remember Florida State actually offered him and got a couple like side eyes from Florida State fans. You know, like why why are we offering this guy? He's I think he was out of Massachusetts as a recruit. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, um, but he put he was the guy that put up like 270 yards against Louisville. So well, they're uh, they're 39th in the country in rushing offense. That, that's yeah, their, definitely their strongest in offense. They're 101st in passing offense, which is really the only time Florida State like really struggles to a team is to get off the field in passing downs, yeah. passing situations. If you really think about it, I mean, first and second down, FSU absolutely neutralizes any running back. I mean, Mark Walton for Miami was supposed to be one of the best backs in the country. He's obviously out for the season, so we won't we won't get to know this season. But, I mean, they held him to 33 yards. This, this defense is very good against a traditional run, which is all Boston College does. And then, Ethan, I'll let you talk about what Florida State wants to do on offense and really the only thing they've done well all season and how that stacks up against Boston College's rush or defense. Again, um, Boston College is 38th in pass defense, and they're 114th, which is only, I want to say, uh, what are there, 130 FBS teams now? Yeah, 29, I believe. 29. Um, so, like, they're 15th, 16th from the from the bottom. So I think that Florida State, their their best kind of – their best offensive option right now is to hand the ball off to Cam Akers and whoever else is going to get the carries this weekend. And so I think that they're best equipped to beat teams. And because Boston College doesn't have a good rushing defense, I think that defense that I think that bodes well for Florida State. But we said the same thing about Louisville, and they only put up 21 points on offense, took a lucky break to get one of those touchdowns. So I, I just again, does does Jimbo actually buy in and pound the rock? That's what's got to happen this week if Florida State wants to win. And I, I think that ultimately it's on Jimbo's shoulder to kind of trust his running back. And we'll see because it's going to be harder to trust his running backs this weekend with his his starter and his veteran presence in that backfield out. So I, I, I don't know. I think that this is, a, this is a tough game to predict just because we, we thought Jimbo was going to run the rock last weekend and he didn't quite do it to the degree we thought he was going to do it to. And now he's lost his starting running back, and he's going to an, uh, you know, a, 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 not a super hostile environment, but it's an away game. So I, I think there's just some added dimensions to this game that kind of make it intriguing, and, and we're going to see what Jimbo chooses to do and kind of how he chooses to manage a game like this. I'll let's let's just go right into score predictions then. Um, I'll say FSU wins a very close one, 16 to 13. I think the difference in this game, it'll be a field position battle, much like 2015 was the last time FSU played in Boston College on a Friday night. Um, FSU, even with the 2015 offense with Dalvin Cook and Everett Golson, Travis Rudolph and company, 
um, which is a lot better than this offense. Still only scored seven points that night. Um, Jalen Ramsey had a scoop and score to win the game 14-0. I think ultimately FSU gets one offensive touchdown again uh, in 2017 and kicks three field goals uh, to finish a close one. I'm not sure um, how Boston College scores their 13 a touchdown and two field goals, obviously, but we'll see maybe a broken broken play, broken coverage, but I do think it'll be close, and that's certainly how this season has went. So uh, I'll let you just give yours, Ethan. I'm sure it'll be somewhere around there. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go 13-7, Florida State. Okay. I, I think I guess I could see it. I, I I don't know. I I that's what my gut tells me too. But that's assuming that Florida State's defense kind of plays to the level that they're capable of. And I'm not sure that that's what you're gonna get on a Friday night against Boston College. But you think you're you think they're holding them to seven? I that's what I'm saying. Like I that's I, I'm I'm making that prediction assuming that the defense kind of steps up. And and I think that they can stop Boston College's running attack, and, and and their quarterback isn't equipped to beat Florida State's defensive backs, and, and so I, I think that's that's a possibility. But what, like I said, we'll, we'll see if Florida State defense comes to play. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Hear the Spear. Uh, thank you guys for listening again. We'll talk to you. Ethan will bring you the instant reaction podcast after the game this Friday night. Probably be out Saturday morning. Um, we were very lucky to have Kenny Sean. He gave us some great insight today and we look forward to talking to you guys, both me and Ethan, uh, next week to post game, the Boston college game and preview Syracuse. Uh, so thanks for listening and we'll talk to you then. <laughs>